Hello and welcome to The Independent Minds, a series of conversations between Abbasida and people who think outside the box about how work works, with the aim of creating better workplace and lifestyle experiences for everyone. I'm your host, Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida, and today I am joined by Ian Child, the author of 10 Tips to Help You Conquer Imposter Syndrome. Hello, Ian. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I appreciate you making the time available, so thank you very much. But before we get into 10 Tips to Help You Conquer Imposter Syndrome, please could you tell us a little bit about Ian Child? Sure. My background is in uh, in corporate land. I was in corporate financial services for about 30 years. I uh, retired in 2016 and I was going to get into, I had various interests in property and uh, wanted to do property development. In short, got trained how to do it and then discovered that uh, it was actually far more fun teaching people how to develop property than you know, that, that was something that really kind of appealed to me and ended up with my business partner forming uh, a business called Property CEO, which we then uh, started in 2018, uh, where we teach people how to develop property. And one of the things that I had a lot of experiences on my side of the fence from corporate life was probably had two main areas. One was uh, in terms of business. And when, when you start a property development business, it is a business, so you have to treat it as a business. But the second thing was kind of mindset and having uh, the, res- the results that you get quite often is driven not by the knowledge that you've got, but by the, uh, the mindset that you kind of approach things with. As we went on that journey, I discovered that teaching people how to develop property, albeit on a small scale, uh, certainly requires a lot of information about, about property and property development. But it was also very clear that the reason that people can sometimes get stuck on that journey, because it's not something that happens overnight, it's not like learning how to do tiddlywinks or whatever, is that kind of life gets in the way and and things get in the way. And generally things about oneself. So it's not that you don't have the information, it's just kind of how you apply it and what else is going on in, in your head that potentially prevents you doing it. And that prompted me to to write a number of things. So the, I, I wrote books about property development, but then uh, I decided to write a book about time, your own personal time machine, because I found that that was one of the excuses that I would regularly get from students, that they were just you know, struggling to find the time. And I passionately believed that there was an infinite amount of time, almost, that the people could, if they, if they did things a certain way um, and they were doing it slightly smarter in a polite way, that they would be able to free up the time to be able to um, to make the most of the, the time that they had. But then one of the other things, if I was making a list of issues that uh, that people had and students had encountered, imposter syndrome was right up there. And uh, that prompted me to write an article about uh, about imposter syndrome and and specifically what are some of the things that you can do to, uh, to tackle it because it is uh, something that affects quite a lot of people. Yeah, it affects quite a lot of famous people as well, apparently. It is, yeah. People that you might not expect. People like yeah, Lady Gaga, Albert Einstein. I think what happens with imposter syndrome is that it is basically a uh, not being able to understand, in many cases, why uh, you are successful at what you do and why other people think that you're successful at what you do because you don't perceive yourself to be doing anything particularly special. 
I think for for Einstein, he couldn't quite see what all the fuss was about. And of course, I guess he only had his own perspective. He may have thought that everybody else was just as clever as, as he was. And then he had all this adulation, but then kind of would realize and, and look uh, his sort of introspective on it was that I, I don't really deserve this because I'm, I'm not really doing anything particularly special. I'm just being me and okay, I do some stuff, but actually it's not, it's not worthy of all this kind of adulation. And I think we have these kind of famous people that have come clean about their imposter syndrome, but allegedly it affects 70% of the population. Ironically, the people that uh, that are genuine imposters and <laughs> are faking it uh, generally don't associate with imposter syndrome. It's generally people effectively acting outside their comfort zone, their own personal comfort zone to some degree, and particularly where everybody else's perception is that they're they're in it so it could it can come up in all sorts of places it, it comes up very often in a work environment where potentially you're doing a job particularly if it's maybe it's a new job or it's kind of it's like you know, a bit of a stretch for you and it may be going incredibly well but there's that kind of inner voice that's telling you that this isn't really your job that actually somebody else could probably do this job a lot better than you than you and it's just an accident that you've actually been successful at it so far and and somebody's going to tap you on the shoulder at some point uh, and kind of call you out on it it's an interesting point because i think there are different strategies to being successful in the workplace and i can always remember being told that if you want the promotion you've got to behave like you have already got the promotion to convince people that you're right for the promotion. So there's almost the fake it until you make it type of approach. Give yourself that air of self-confidence and belief that you should be in the, the higher level position. But listening to you explain imposter syndrome there almost tends to suggest that faking it until you make it might lead to a situation where Yes, you've convinced other people that you should have made it, you've made it, but you haven't quite convinced yourself. Quite possibly, yeah. At the end of the day, imposter syndrome is pretty much about you and and your perception. Uh, it isn't a, typically about other people's perception of you because they will have that um, regardless. That's not causing the imposter syndrome. It's not people's actual interpretation of uh, or assessment of you. It's what you believe uh, that their assessment is. So, yeah, when you go into that environment of fake it to make it, I think there's there's a number of different kind of angles there. I think one of the really interesting things that can help imposter syndrome is just reframing stuff. So it's very easy to go into certain situations. And if maybe I, I use the property developer thing as, the, uh, as an analogy. I was just about to ask you, you know, I've watched all of those well, not all of them, because there are several thousand different programs mm. on all of the different television channels about property development. They all make it sort of sound or look um, quite easy. It's, there's a lots of melodrama involved as well. And it rains, it doesn't rain, it, it's this is delayed, that's delayed, or this comes too early, or all these sorts of things. There's all sorts of various different issues. But I'm wondering, like, your experience in the property development and experience of identifying imposter syndrome as one of the issues that people involved in property development face and also how that then transfers to other people as well or how that applies to other people as well i'm wondering if i watch another property development program what would be the signs 
that I should look out for for the this week's property developer has got imposter syndrome. Um, I think one of the challenges, if I'm honest, with a lot of those programs is that uh, they are people that are, uh, tend to be developing things uh, quite often. It's 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 a home. It's it's something they're going to live in um, or, or whatever. Um, and so it's not necessarily that they're going to be doing it for for, for profit. I think the, the the scenario that everybody kind of can probably get their head around is is having a meeting. You know, imagine that you're on site on your first development and you're meeting with the contractor and the architect and this this team of of people who have been there and done it and got the t-shirt and and you feel very much like the old plates are on the back and you feel like people can see them. They know that you're, this is your first development and you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm going to put on a brave front. I'm going to be as confident as I can. But internally, uh, whilst you may be successful in, in faking it, you've still got those feelings of, uh, of being an imposter, which is why sometimes reframing it can help significantly. One of the analogies I quite like is with Richard Branson, who starts numerous businesses, Virgin Voyages, which is a, a cruise line business. And of course, to the best of my knowledge, he's never run a cruise line business before. So you could imagine that first meeting uh, where he had the great and the good that had been hired as experts who from the industry. What were they thinking? Were they thinking that here's, here's a complete newbie that doesn't know what he's talking about? Uh, the reality, of course, is that the property developer is the person that pays everybody's bills. You know, without, without them deciding to develop a property, uh, nobody gets paid. The architect doesn't have a commission. The contractor doesn't have a job. The state agent doesn't have a sale. So... It's a question of then putting yourself in that position and thinking, okay, so I'm the Richard Branson of this this thing, and of course Richard Branson doesn't know how to run a cruise line in the with all the uh, the, the minutiae in terms of the horsepower of the engines on the ship and and all of the myriad component parts and the detail. He has people that advise him, and so it's basically just kind of reframing it in your own mind, so that when you go into that environment. You're not necessarily faking it, but what you're doing is kind of giving yourself a fresh perspective, a different perspective on the role that you're playing here. And you're kind of bigging up the importance that you're, uh, of your role here. I get the feeling that um, training is quite important. Preparing yourself to be in an environment that is new, one of the key things, I suppose, would be training. But you've got 10 tips. We don't have the time to go through all 10, but... What would be the first thing or would reframing be the first thing that you would do in order to um, combat any feelings of imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think it probably would, because I think one of the things that can be really helpful in all sorts of issues where we face fear is is really the, the recognition of it. So often we we have fear for that is irrational. Um, you know, public speaking is a great case in point. The number one fear, apparently. And yet, of course, we can speak. And if we know what we're talking about, why on earth should it be a problem? But yet, put us on a stage in front of 500 people and everybody you know, wants to run for the door. Uh, so it's kind of being able to get your head around why that's happening, because it isn't rational, and understanding how your subconscious is kind of working, um, because that's ultimately driving it. It's a fear of what other people think of us, uh, which back in the day, was something which potentially could be life-threatening. If we, uh, in the days when we were dwelling in caves, if we got sort of ostracized from the group through something that we did or something that we said, then our chance of survival was uh, was diminished uh, significantly. And the good old subconscious hasn't really kind of moved on a great deal since then. So what it's doing is it's kind of very 
conscious of the fact that it needs to please everybody around it and if it's not and if we if it's feeling uh, exposed then it, it worries a great deal about it and it sends the conscious mind those fear signals that uh, that really we all know uh, and and recognize and it's what keeps us in our, our comfort zone what i've found has always helped is understanding uh, why that happens the kind of the the actual uh, physiology of, of what's happening in your mind that's causing you to feel those fears of which imposter syndrome is one and then once you've been able to rationalize it you've got a fighting chance of, of kind of dealing with your rogue subconscious thoughts and getting your conscious mind to kind of try and yeah effectively take control and quite often it's pushing yourself outside of uh, that comfort zone i think what one of the the really challenging downsides of imposter syndrome is that it stops people basically stretching themselves they feel that fear and so they stop it they think i'm not going to go for that because i yeah it, it it's not me i don't think i'll be any good at it yeah they treat back into their shell so to speak yeah but also take again another part of the reframing is reframing you know failure so we all know the stories of um is it samuel beckett uh, ever tried ever failed no matter try again fail again fail better and all the examples of edison uh, inventing things that would never have got invented, but for the fact that he did, a th- he failed a thousand times, and on his uh, a thousand and first time, he managed to get it right. And and of course, if he was f- afraid of failure, you know, I guess he wouldn't have light bulbs, or somebody else would have invented them. But it's being able to kind of again uh, reframe it in that way that that basically you, your the message to yourself is is that actually failure is quite a good thing. But it's also instead of thinking. Uh, just wait till they find out that I don't know what I'm doing. It's changing that in your own mind to, I may not know all the answers, but I'm smart enough to figure them out. Uh, Far more kind of empowering. Good way of looking at it. So that would be the first of these tips that you'd put into action, but I'm a lazy little boy. (laughs) What would be the easiest of the tips to uh, implement? In many respects, it's probably sharing. So that, that doesn't cost anything. It's having those conversations, honest conversations with other people about some of the uh, the things that you're experiencing. Because w- what happens is that it helps effectively cure the imposter syndrome. So whilst there are some some things that you could do that are, for example, celebrating your successes, that's another thing that you can do. We're not very good at doing that. Particularly if you suffer from imposter syndrome, typically move on quite quickly after you've had a success. You then start immediately worrying about the next a potential disaster that might be for you, uh, rather than actually taking the time to celebrate, uh, because that actually, uh, again, has reinforces in your subconscious that you've done a great job, that actually you, you are successful because, hey, we're celebrating, uh, rather than just kind of move on. But I think if you're having these conversations and talking to to, to other people where, where you're, you're sort of facing those fears, then actually talking it out uh, does two things. First of all, you'll find that uh, that you'll feel better for, for sharing it uh, and vocalizing it, verbalizing it. And the second thing I think that happens is that the people that you talk to uh, will probably say, do you know what, I feel exactly, that's exactly how I feel. Um, and it's, a, it, it's, it's funny how when we, we then start feeling that we're not in this bubble, that, that we, can, we can kind of sort of deal with it better and, and move on. One of the things that I think right. is a, a very challenging thing in, in the modern life is you know, social media, a great case in point, where a lot of the public persona that we put out to the world or that people put out to the world is kind of rather airbrushed. Uh, and and people put forward the the best version of themselves, and it can be tempting when you look at social media to assume that 
well, you know all of your faults and your, your failings and you look at the world out there and you think, well, it's all, everybody else is so fantastic and everything looks wonderful and, and all of their photographs, they haven't got a bad photo out there, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the reality is that that's not the reality at all. The reality is that everybody else suffers from these fears from imposter syndrome in exactly the same way that, um, that you do. It's like you said, 70% of the population are expected to have symptoms of uh, imposter syndrome at some time in their career. For some people, that might be a single incident or it could be something that lasts a lifetime or lasts a career. It's very interesting. One day somebody will tell me something good about social media, but (laughs) the whole curation of a social media profile to create an image might actually be an element of imposter syndrome itself. My life I'm living is like this, but the life I am telling people I'm living is like that. And that's what people see. That's what they perceive. That's the bit of the iceberg above the waves. The rest of it is something entirely different. And it makes me think that some people, imposter syndrome isn't something that affects them it's something that they might almost cultivate. Yeah, well, certainly the the ninety percent part, you know, is very very relevant. As I said, it, it's because the only people that see the ninety percent part that's below the water is is you. You know that you're putting out the ten percent that looks great, but it, it whilst uh, your your reality check would probably tell you that other people have a a bit of iceberg beneath the surface as well it's very tempting to think well they probably haven't got as deep an iceberg as you you've got an absolute monster that could sink the titanic where theirs is probably just uh you know enough ice for a gin and tonic but the reality is uh, that their iceberg is yeah is is likely to be every bit as as big as yours and also i think it's recognizing that the people the people that are most likely to suffer from imposter syndrome are are entrepreneurs uh high achievers uh, people that give themselves kind of stretch targets, which is no surprise because it's it's because they're sort of pushing themselves out of their their comfort zone and they're doing kind of new things or they're taking risks uh, that that that's an environment where obviously failure is an option. It's also an environment where other people are looking on and and yeah they could be perceived to, to fall over. So uh, another kind of big tick in the box for impo- imposter syndrome sufferers is that. To be in the club, you've actually got to be pretty successful. Uh, you've got to have the right mindset. You've got to be a, a go-getter, entrepreneurial, a risk-taker, people that are, are prepared to be outside one's comfort zone. So, yeah, uh, yeah the, the 70% is kind of a good place to be, even though it doesn't feel like it at the time. I suppose of the, of the 10, we've covered two of them so far. I suppose the third one is which of the 10 tips to combat imposter syndrome would you say is the one that's likely to deliver the biggest results the quickest the biggest thing in any scenario like that is is that recognition of the of the comfort zone and just taking steps to move outside it there's that that great book feel the fear and do it anyway which kind of sums it up on the on the spine of the book almost doesn't it, it it's kind of right well what and I, I recognize it's there and what a lot of people do with imposter syndrome i think is and like with all fear i guess is that they they don't like the feeling they recognize it's there and so it just prevents them from doing anything and the fear goes away because they haven't kind of stepped outside the comfort zone i think if you able to kind of recognize it for what it is and then make a physical point of going i jolly well i'm going to be outside my comfort zone and i know that 
initially it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable and um yeah I'm, i am putting myself out there then what happens i mean several things happen first of all you, you we do tend to over estimate the uh you know the impact of fear that some some reckon by about tenfold so actually the reality of what you do will tend to be far more benign than it would than you were you were fearing uh, even if it didn't go completely according to plan but what you'll end up doing and the great thing about comfort zones is that they expand as you move into them so uh, your first public speaking performance might well be something that uh, made you a nervous wreck by the time you've done your 20th uh, you know you, you might still get a few butterflies but it's you know you've moved on and there is that that journey there but that journey never gets taken by people that stay as a victim to imposter syndrome it only gets solved by people that consciously make that step to move out of it and 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 take that step outside the comfort zone to uh, to kind of embrace it and then move on and the bad news of course is that uh, once you get really good at public speaking you'll be able to find something else to have an imposter syndrome about um the world is full of of things that uh, that yeah you 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 would worry about um but if you adopt that as a kind of philosophy i'm just jolly well going to do it then you i think would be in a very good place right it's a, it's really interesting and i'm i know that you, uh, we both have experienced imposter syndrome at different times. I'm just wondering, like, how how's your imposter syndrome at the moment? Well, interesting. I, it, it never really goes away. I think one of the things that I've learned as a symptom of imposter syndrome was perfectionism. I always used to be a perfectionist, and I kind of got to recognise that if I did stuff to about eighty or eighty-five percent, it was good enough, and also I'd get twice as much done. Um, rather than worrying about what people would think if it wasn't 100%. And I also remember, and I hadn't really associated this with imposter syndrome before, but in my corporate life, there was a time when it, it was almost, there was almost this competition to work as many hours as possible. As you were sort of climbing the uh, the greasy pole, hoping that the powers that be would look down on you favorably because of these long hours you're working. And it was almost almost like a competition. But then what was quite interesting was to discover that in many instances, that actually is imposter syndrome as well. It's, it's born out of a fear that we worry that we're not good enough uh, to do the job that we're supposed to be doing and that we're going to get caught out. But at least, Hey, if we work, if we work 60 hours a week, then nobody could say that we didn't try and so our, this redeeming feature of our career is that, uh, yeah, probably was, it wasn't necessarily in the right job, but, um, but yeah, he definitely worked really hard. And it's interesting. I never kind of perceived it like that at the time, but, uh, but in many respects that, that yeah, that you, you can kind of see how that would pan out, that there's this kind of competition on the one hand, which you can easily kid yourself is like, that's, this is how I'm going to get the big promotion. But there's another aspect to it, which is that it's it, it's giving it's giving other people a reason to to value you, uh, because maybe you worry that 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 what you're doing in the day job isn't quite enough, or isn't you're you know, you you're not quite the uh, um, you're you're still a bit of an imposter. Very interesting. I agree with you. It's a very interesting conversation. Thank you, Ian. I've really enjoyed learning a bit more about ten tips to help you conquer imposter syndrome. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Brilliant. And uh, thank you to you for listening to The Independent Minds. I am Michael Millward, Managing Director of Abbasida, and I have been having a conversation with the independent mind, 
Ian Child. You can find out more about both of us at abbasida.co.uk. There's a link in the description. And if you have liked this edition of The Independent Minds, please give it a like. And to make sure you don't miss out on future editions, please subscribe. Remember, the aim of all the podcasts produced by Abbasida is not to tell you what to think, but we do hope to make you think. Thank you.